and it's lights out at the Hungarian Grand Prix, and away we go! It's Hamilton who takes the lead, he's already taking the knee, but there's Vettel, very close, he's also down on one knee, but look at Bartas, he's already taking the knee, every bit as much as Hamilton, and looking even more serious, or is that just his normal countenance? But look at the two racing points, Perez is standing, and Landstrom is just, well, scrambling all over the place, no change there I suppose. Look at Ricciardo, he's taking the knee, but way offline, surely the stewards will have something to say about that. Giovinazzi, bringing up the rear, hasn't even got the right t-shirt on. This isn't taking the knee, this is just taking the... Hello and welcome to another virtual edition of Gareth Jones on Speed brought to you by Zoom. Other video conferencing facilities are available. He's Zog. Hello. And she's Sarah. Hello. And I have to say, Sarah, you're sounding very good and looking very slick. Where on earth are you actually broadcasting from at the moment? I've managed to escape my flat now that this lockdown is partially over. So I'm actually working out of Soho Works today, White City, hence the room. It is, it's very soundproof. There's lots of really comfy lounges in here. It's quite good. <laughs> and they're great windows. I like those lovely bright windows. Yeah, I don't it know how I landed cool. this room. Yeah, it does it's look a good quite look. super cool, doesn't it? <laughs> Tell you what, when lockdown is over, I think we should all convene in that room with you. It looks like a lovely place to record. It is quite and good. It's not a bad idea, actually. How's the added benefit of no traffic going past your window during recording <laughs> yeah that's right that's right it's a bit like the ghetto in my flat at the moment every weekend in Notting Hill it's the street party all those outdoor bars and so it seems to be some sort of block party every weekend right that's it definitely coming around your place as soon as <laughs> so I'm trying to escape from it <laughs> talking about block parties and traffic there has been some F1 traffic recently, which I'm very happy to report. We've had two fine, well, three now, but we've done a show since the first one. The Styrian Grand Prix and the Hungarian Grand Prix, which were both particularly entertaining. Sarah, did you enjoy both races? Yeah, I did, actually. I thought this race was pretty good, the one just gone. There was a couple of really interesting results, to be honest. Yeah. What was your highlight before I tell you my highlight? I will tell you my highlight. And it wasn't actually at the Hungarian Grand Prix. It was actually at the Styrian oh, really? Grand Prix. And that is when they do the... Is this the podium ceremony? The podium ceremony, uh, Zog, you know. The robots! Yes, the robots! Oh, yes! I know! What about that, I the robots? I love the robots. The robots. Oh. I was like, what? Are they handing out the trophies using robots? Yeah. Yes, they are. To be honest, I don't know what the full correct definition of a robot is, but they're not really autonomous robots. What they are is radio-controlled cars with a box on top of them, a sort of a plinth. And when they do the ceremony to hand out the trophies, there are two guys driving these radio-controlled boxes in front of the drivers, and so they can pick up the trophies without them being handled by someone else, thereby reducing the chance of cross-infection. And I absolutely love them. It's the best bit. Oh, yeah. It's great having Formula One back, but when Formula One does stuff like that, I applaud them. Yeah, and even if, as you say, they're not true robots, they'll always be robots to me. I thought it was a yeah terrific addition to the new style event, and I hope we're going to be seeing a lot more of them later in the season. 
Well, they've already dropped them, I think, because for the podium ceremony for the Hungarian Grand Prix, they didn't use robots. They had a single person who wasn't a dignitary. Usually you have, you know, the minister for sport or a prime minister or the chairman of a big corporation handing out. They just had a single person, a woman, handing out the trophies. And she was very lovely. And I'm sure she was, you know, completely (laughs) germ-free. But I want the robots back. And I want the robots to be sponsored as well. I think each of the robots ought to have a massive sponsor logo on them. There's an opportunity. Well, especially given there have been a fair few IT computer industry sponsors in the sport in recent years. Yeah, that's a great branding opportunity for them, surely. They missed out on that. They should have done that already, really. I'm surprised they weren't already thinking that way. The Hungarian Grand Prix podium, there were steps up to that podium, weren't there? I guess it was whoever organised the Austrian and the Styrian Grand Prix ceremonies had figured that because they were doing it on the flat, they could use their fancy, um, what do you call those sort of catering trolleys? You know, sort of trolleys that waiters wheel in and out of hotel rooms. <laughs> There's a word for them, isn't there? With, you know, Cluzo or secret agents secreted underneath the drapes <laughs> in as a, you know, little plot device in the occasional movie. Uh, what would he call them? But they're not dumb waiters. Dumb waiters are the lift things. They're, um... There is a word. I can't think of it right now. But you know what Richard Porter's mate always said about Asimo, the Honda robot? It's just a little boy in a suit, isn't it? That's what he's always said. So I'm wondering if it is, in fact, really a radio-controlled plinth, or it is, in fact, someone shuffling around like the Daleks. But you see, the Daleks couldn't get upstairs, could they? So no wonder these robots... They can now. They can now. They can levitate. Levitate! They've been able to do it for a few years. They've had the little jetpacks and, yeah, they've broken three. They have. But anyway, let's talk about cars. Let's talk about on-track action. I don't know if you can cast your minds way, 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 way back to the Styrian Grand Prix where we saw Lewis starting his charge. So at the Austrian Grand Prix, he failed to win the race, but at the Styrian Grand Prix, Lewis is back. And in the words of Take That, do you reckon he's back for good? I think he's back for good, 1,000%. I mean, he just took the championship lead at the weekend, so for sure he's back. I think we'll see him probably go right through this year. He's particularly motivated by the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, which he should be anyway. But yeah, I think Lewis is back and he's back to stay, unfortunately, for all the other drivers. And Valtteri Bottas, I think, was a little bit disappointed on the weekend that he got pipped by Lewis. Perhaps his hopes were up quite high that he could have had a chance (laughs) to take the leadership this year. But Valtteri still, he was runner-up at the Styrian Grand Prix, wasn't he? Yeah, he drove a good race. Did you know that Valtteri is now divorced from his lovely former wife, Emilia? Yeah. I didn't know this until recently, and he's got together with an Australian Australian, woman, I hear, Sarah. Australian cyclist or something. I saw that somewhere. Sarah, did you know of her before she became a Grand Prix wife or girlfriend? I should say. No, no, I did. I think I read something somewhere, or maybe a sort of photo of him cycling, and then it occurred to me that she was Australian. So, unfortunately, no, I didn't know of her. So, but yeah, I mean, I think they ended their divorce quite amicably, which is it's always hard to end a divorce, I suppose. Not that I've ever been through it. (laughs) It seems to be benefiting Valtteri because he said in a recent interview that he's been doing, I think he said, 90% of his training with her. And wow. Yeah, because she's a super athlete, then the two of them are able to train together at a very, very high level, which means Valtteri's working on his 
physical fitness. And when you're up against Lewis Hamilton, who I have to say has got a body like a superhero. Have you seen him? Have you seen him from the waist up? Yeah, he posts on Instagram quite a lot, actually. So if you go to Instagram, there are plenty of photos of Lewis Hamilton's upper body. <laughs> this is the thing that people who, you know, maybe don't particularly follow the sport, Donald's realise, is that the level of fitness required to be a Formula One driver, and particularly to be one of the best Formula One drivers, is phenomenal. You know, you can't be anything other than you know, really tremendously strong and fit, as well as having the reactions that you need to perform in the car, the reaction speed. And then that sometimes also has the complication of not so much in the last couple of years, but, you know, in some of the previous years, some of the drivers have had really difficulty kind of keeping down to a weight that enabled the package of car and driver to be at its best. Because if the drive was too heavy, it was kind of raising the centre of gravity of the car just a little bit more. Yeah. They actually had to change the governing regulations, didn't they, to allow the car to be heavier and the weight of a driver and car to be slightly heavier, to allow for drivers like... Who was it? Was it Paul DeResta, who is six foot something, who is, if you like, for want of a better word, handicapped by his height and yeah. drivers shouldn't well, be, of course. I mean, Vertz was pretty tall, of course. He was over 11 feet tall. Jensen Button's very tall. Yeah, for an F1 driver, he's a giant. But to get back to the Syrian Grand Prix, I mean, it was, as you say, Sarah, Lewis Hamilton absolutely demonstrating that he's still the man after not getting the result in Austria. This is clearly going to be Lewis and Mercedes' year again. And tremendous, though, rejuvenated Bottas with new relationship, maybe. He's going to struggle all year to keep up with Lewis. And if he doesn't get him at the start of the race, which he missed his chance to do in Hungary, for example, he's not going to get near him. And, you know, in Hungary, after just a couple of laps, Lewis was seven seconds ahead of the rest of the field. Yeah, he won by 8.7 seconds in the end, Lewis. And I think he had more pit stops than anybody else. Yeah, he made that last stop to put on another set of tyres to try and get, well, not to try and get fast lap, to get, fastest lap of the race and score the extra point so really he had an easy time of it and again and to get back to the steering grand prix that qualifying lap in the wet was just incredible it really was a masterclass. what was it over a second quicker than yeah i think it was yeah 1.2 seconds than valtteri or something extraordinary everybody's talking about one particular corner on the circuit they replayed it and replayed it and replayed it during qualifying where someone said i've never seen a car go flat through that corner it was absolute poetry without taking anything away from the skill of the drivers that might also have something to do with just how good the mercedes is this year because that really is a hell of a car and they've done some clever stuff with the rear of the car apparently the rear suspension they've done some clever stuff with the rear wishbones that's basically sort of freeing up space for the airflow around the diffuser to work better. And so while they may not be getting much more out of the engine this year, they're still getting more out of the car. The rear of that car is slimmer than Sporty Spice at the moment. Have you seen it from above? They talk about the Coke bottle, the way that it has this almost feminine sort of bulge and then down to a very slim rear end. It's as slim as a straw at the end. It's witchcraft, isn't it? Witchcraft. Fantastic stuff. This is one of the things we love to see. You know, it's sometimes a little bit frustrating feeling that there isn't as much room as you might like for teams to innovate and for designers, engineers to come up with clever solutions, but they are still coming up with clever solutions within the space they do have to work within. Do you know what I think the cleverest solution in terms of car design in Formula One is at the moment? 
It's the pink Mercedes. The idea that Racing Point have successfully and allegedly without any help from Mercedes managed to copy some great details on the Mercedes car and make it work for themselves. Here's an example. I've always wanted a Rickenbacker 4003 stereo bass. It's my favourite bass guitar. I've always wanted one. I've never been able to afford one. They're upwards of 1500 pounds £2,500. But I could afford a Chinese copy of that guitar. You can get them, and they're reasonably good. And they play okay, but they're nowhere near as good. Even if they're copied almost to every facet of that design it just doesn't play like a Rickenbacker and therefore if you copy a Mercedes there's no guarantee that it will run like a Mercedes Formula One car but Racing Points have successfully managed to do this I applaud them I think that's some achievement yeah because did you know there's no copyright in Formula One you can't copyright your car design copying other people's designs has a long and honourable tradition in the sport. For as long as teams have been putting cars on track, other teams have been looking at what the other lot have done and saying, oh, that's clever, that's good, Mm. we can do that. And they've copied it, whether it's, you know, ground effects or whether it's a bit of aero here or whether it's F-ducts, double diffusers, all of these things, it's all up for grabs. And Racing Point, they just appear to have done a particularly good job of copying last year's Mercedes. It's interesting actually getting into the detail of this challenge that Red Bull have made about the design of the car, because when they first challenged the Racing Point, my feeling was that whatever was going on, it was really unlikely that Racing Point and Mercedes would have done anything dodgy, not so much because they are so ethical that they wouldn't consider it, but because the downside to Mercedes in doing anything against the rules here would be too great. Much as they might want to help Racing Point, the downside to Mercedes, both in terms of potential penalties and in terms of PR, would be greater than the benefit they could possibly get from helping out Racing Point. So whatever was going on, it was really unlikely that Mercedes would have past designs on but it seems that getting into the detail of it that the challenge is almost to do with clarifying exactly what is allowed because it seems as if whilst you know big picture racing point has just looked at the mercedes in detail and from photographs copied it and done a very good job of it not for this year's car but for last year's car they did get the designs for the brake ducts from mercedes and when they got those designs from mercedes that was within the rules But for this year's cars, they've tightened up the rules on exactly which bits you're sort of allowed to get the CAD drawings for. And you're not allowed to get the CAD drawings for brake ducts and some other stuff. And there seems to be some confusion as to whether what Racing Point have sort of inherited from the car this year, whether that is within the new rules or not. I think that's a little unfair because in some ways it's analogous to the British speed limit is 70 miles per hour, but... We're going to reduce it to 50 miles per hour. And anyone who was caught doing 51 miles per hour five years ago, you're now liable for a fine as well. You can't move the goalposts. It may be that the regulations haven't been drawn up carefully enough to be entirely unambiguous about this. In other words, when Racing Point originally got the CAD drawing for that brake duct from Mercedes, there was nothing against doing that in the rules. And whilst that is now against the rules, when they got the drawings, it wasn't against the rules. So what they're sort of clearing up now is, is I guess, the fine detail of whether the brake duct that 
Racing Point is now using, and actually as we're talking about this, I realise that I'm not actually entirely clear whether they're using the same brake that they were using last year or not. They're, I guess, trying to get a sort of a clarification from the FIA on this grey area in the rules. And that might mean that Racing Point end up having to use a different brake duct for the rest of the season. There's no doubt that the rules and regulations in F1 are complex and need a bit more discussion, which we'll come to again in a moment. You may have noticed over the last few months on this programme and on my website, garethjones.tv, that we've been promoting the Team Langustine campsite at the Le Mans 24 Hours. And we've been inviting listeners to this programme to come and join us at the race and camp at the same campsite we'll be staying at this year. You may also be aware that the Automobile Club Le West, the organisers of the Le Mans 24 Hours, recently announced that the big race was to be rescheduled from its usual slot in June to a new date in September this year. This is due, of course, to the global pandemic. However, I've just heard from Mark Adams of Team Langustine who tells me that unfortunately due to the new restrictions the ACO have announced that they will be putting in place to limit the number of people who will be allowed to attend the race this year, it has actually become impossible for Team Langustine to run a campsite at the circuit this year. Mark tells me that he's very sorry that this is the case but that he's already planning for a Team Langustine campsite at the Le Mans 24 Hours in 2021. In the meantime, the 24 Hours of Le Mans is still going ahead in 2020. And if Zog, Stevie and I can sort out accommodation for ourselves at the Circuit de la Salle, then we will be there in September. We hope. We'll keep you posted. Sorry if you were planning to join us at the race this year and that's not going to be possible. But hey, hope springs eternal and maybe we get to do that next year. Darling Dave, Darling Steve to the Chamber of Davros immediately. Davros, oh master, why have you called us to your chamber? Because I have devised a great plan for how you, my darlings, will conquer the universe. Tell us, oh mighty leader, what is this plan? News has just been passed to me over the sub-ether network that there is an opportunity for us to infiltrate Earth. Do we get to do lots of exterminating? Yes, of course. Yes, I thought you'd like that. Tell us what we must do, Master. It is very simple. The pathetic humans are using robots to hand out trophies at Grand Prix. All we have to do is simply replace those robots with Daleks. And exterminate everybody? Yes. Exactly. Exterminate! 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 But this is the clever bit. 
you don't use your ray guns. Oh, but Davros, oh lord and master, we love using our ray guns. No, Dalek Dave, you are not using your ray guns. Do we sucker the humans to death with our sink plunger? No, Dalek Steve, it is even more ingenious than that. Tell us, oh master, what must we do? What must we do? Instead of handing over the trophy to the winner of the race, you, my Daleks, will transmit a signal using extermination radio technology, which will broadcast a death ray to the whole planet by channeling its evil signal through F1 television's output to everybody watching Formula One on TV. And because Formula One is the most popular sport on the planet, it will instantly exterminate the entire population of the Earth! Uh, Master, I'm afraid there is a flaw in your plan! What? Of course there isn't. My plan is perfect. What do you mean? In most territories, Formula One is only available via Sky Sports or some other wildly expensive pay-per-view outlet, which no one can afford anymore. So basically, no one will be watching. Oh, but... You're a joke the legal complications in Formula One are ongoing. It's not just Red Bull who are protesting the racing point car, but Renault are also protesting at the moment. I would imagine because these are the two teams who've got most to lose from the extraordinary performance of Racing Point at the moment. And Sarah, you're the one with the facts and figures and the numbers and stuff. This Racing Point car has got to be good because look where Stroll qualified at the Hungarian Grand Prix. He was third, wasn't he? Yes, Hungarian Grand Prix. Yeah, he was, I believe. And Perez fourth, yeah. What was really remarkable is that Lance Stroll was ahead of Perez. Yeah, that's the first time Lance Stroll's managed to do that this year anyway. And he, if he had to play his cards right, he, could have, he was in the running for third place this race, wasn't he, at the Hungarian Grand Prix? Yeah. But good on him, though. He came in fourth. And I think that is a good indication of how good the Racing Point car is. And then with Sergio Perez not far behind him, they're a team that I would have to say it's hard not to ignore them. The other teams would definitely be respecting them, especially, say, Renault and McLaren. You know, when they see those Racing Points out there, I think they will keep their eyes open. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and credit to Stroll for actually delivering a decent performance in that race because generally he's always regarded as second banana to Perez. Um, I think rightly so. Perez is a better driver. He's shown himself to be a better driver. But Perez didn't get a particularly good start in Hungary. And then in those first few laps, Stroll was doing a decent job of holding off Verstappen. That's some achievement. And then in the end, you know, he and Alban and the three podium finishers were the only drivers not to be lapped. So, yeah, you know, fair play. He put up a good show in Hungary. Hands up, I have to say, in the last episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, I said, well, you know, Strolley's not the quickest driver on the grid, but fair play at the moment, he's the third <laughs> quickest driver, given certain circumstances. So I take that back. However, I will say this. I don't know if you've noticed during the interviews recently, both Racing Point drivers are a bit down in the mouth, despite the fact that they've got this extraordinary car. And I think there's a good reason for this. I think they are both 
uncertain as to whether they will retain their seat next year because the idea of having Vettel in an Aston Martin is quite appealing to the brand Aston Martin. And so the decision is a difficult decision for Racing Point to make. Do they dump Perez? And it's not Perez, it's Perez. Do they dump him and all the wonderful sponsorship that he brings to keep the team going? Or do they say to Lance Stroll, Lance, look, I know your dad owns the team, but you're going to have to be the reserve driver. And I have a strong feeling that they've both had that hinted to them at the moment. But who are you expecting to come in on top of them? What, Vettel? Because he's a free agent. Yeah, Vettel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been fairly strong rumours. They've had conversations. I'm not sure I would want to go for Vettel. I mean, personally, <laughs> not that I'm a team principal, but I mean, Vettel does cause a lot of unforced errors. Instead of trying to overtake someone, he manages to sort of hit another car all the time. I don't know. He seems to have some sort of ongoing insecurity and he just keeps making the same mistakes. I think it's quite true that he can be error prone, that he's not bulletproof and he doesn't have maybe the mental resilience of, say, Alonso. He is fragile, I agree. Yeah, he's fragile, but he's won four world championships yep. and he still has a lot of speed. I think if you're planning your Aston Martin team for next year and you've got Fettel as an option, I think it's pretty hard to turn him down, isn't it? I heard a very interesting unsubstantiated, a, a rumour. Unpronounceable rumour. An unpronounceable rumour that not only was Vettel being courted by Racing Point to be Aston Martin next year, but that they were also courting Adrian Newey yeah, yeah. and that they were keen on getting him on the team. Now, obviously, this is going to have very little effect on next year's car, which is essentially frozen. But the idea that Red Bull could lose the greatest designer in Formula One, that would be one a heck of a struggle, wouldn't it? And it would be great for Adrian Newey to prove himself yet again, not that he needs to, that wherever he goes, he can make a team the greatest team on the grid. And if that were the case, you would think if Vettel was offered the chance to go to a team that's already on the up and had Adrian Newey promised... It'd be hard to turn it down, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Adrian Newey probably yeah. sees it as a new challenge, but I think to your point, he would have to almost prove himself that he was high-regarded engineer in the sport to go from a team that he's comfortable with to go to a new team with new engines and a whole different environment. So it'd be interesting to see how he went, should he take he's the opportunity. He's done it before. He had knew he was comfortable at McLaren. McLaren. He was comfortable at Williams. He has a bit of a track record, a bit like a driver who wants to prove they can do it anywhere. Well, yeah, I think he has a bit of a record of stepping up to those kind of challenges, of going to a new team and putting a new technical package together that can deliver. So, yeah, he could well be up for it. I could imagine that happening. OK, talking about unforced errors from Vettel, as we were a moment ago, how about Max Verstappen making an unforced error yeah, that was a by bit of a... skidding off and hitting the barriers in the, not the formation lap, but the drive out to the grid lap? I mean, that's very uncharacteristic, isn't it? It's the 12th corner or something like that. Well, it was yep. the 12th corner. And then he just, the whole suspension that went, wasn't it? And so the engineers yeah, did a very good, yeah, the engineers managed to remarkably fix the whole entire car before the start of the race. Yeah, I mean, they absolutely saved his race there. And, you know... Credit to Verstappen. At the end of the race, he said that he felt like he won. I mean, as you would if you actually 
completely ruined your car before the race even started. <laughs> he came out of the blocks with a lot to prove, didn't he? He absolutely thought, right, I've got to do something about this. Well, both Red Bull drivers did quite well. I think Albion went from yep. 13th up to 5th, and then Verstappen went from 12th to 2nd. So that's pretty impressive for the Red Bulls. What team didn't do as well as what I thought they would do is the McLarens. Yeah, Norris was way down, wasn't he? I think mm. they made that poor strategy call, didn't they, on tyres? I may be wrong. But surprisingly, because the momentum seems to be there for both their drivers at the moment. And I think we're all hoping for good things from Lando, aren't we? Yeah, I thought yeah, so. I, I agree. It is a bit disappointing because at the Styrian Grand Prix, Sainz put in the fastest lap of the race, made that call late on to come in for tyres to try and get fastest lap and nailed it. And yeah, Norris has been looking terrific and had that very good spell towards the end took two places in the last lap. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Granted, Perez, I think, was maybe carrying a bit of damage from his coming together with Auburn. But even so, making up two places in the last lap. Yeah, I mean, Norris is looking stronger and stronger. McLaren, I mean, they're third in the championship now, aren't they? Um, I you think know, they're, possibly, yeah. They're really going in the right direction. So, yeah, I agree. It's a disappointing race for them, given where their expectations should now be and really where our expectations of them now are. I think it's a real mark of a proper racer that they race absolutely right to the line, given the opportunity in the tyre strategy. And Norris is almost making that his thing now, isn't he? Whereby if you're on a last couple of laps and Landon Norris is behind you, you better mind what you're doing. Otherwise, he's going to be past you, isn't he? Yeah. I the other slight disappointment for me was Williams, because after a good qualifying performance particularly by Russell they just really were nowhere in the race and Latifi had that silly little spin he apologized didn't he to his team he said yeah I got that one wrong sorry guys which is very grown up of him I'm wondering if Williams's poor performance at the Hungarian Grand Prix I have to keep thinking which race it was now because we've had so many together in such close succession that Williams's poor performance at the Hungarian Grand Prix was down to the fact that it was a high downforce relatively slow track and that the previous two at Austria were fairly fast and sweeping and did you know that Hungarian race is going to be the slowest race on the calendar this year because we don't have Singapore and we don't have Monaco yeah so that could theoretically mean that Williams potentially might bounce back at quicker tracks to come like Silverstone which we should look ahead to in the remaining 10 minutes of this program it's going to be good isn't it Silverstone even without a crowd well apparently Lewis Hamilton doesn't think so he thinks the the crowd will be a notable absentees I mean they're notable absentees anyway but he thinks particularly at Silverstone it just won't be the same well I think particularly that probably Lewis will feel that more than most of the other drivers because it's his home track and because he gets particularly warm reaction from the British crowd much as the British crowd tends to love all the drivers and really be quite even-handed it's not particularly partisan they rightly love Lewis Hamilton and yeah I'm sure he's going to miss that there's no roaring crowd every time he's going past the grandstands while we're talking about Lewis a couple of things First of all, hasn't he got a lovely purple helmet, Lewis? I like his helmet. helmet. I do like his lovely purple helmet. I like it. I thought you might, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Even no. I'm taken by his lovely purple helmet. I'm moving swiftly on. And apart from that, he is also matching Schumacher now in terms of wins. Let me get this right. I'm not sure if I've got the stats right here, but Lewis has had eight wins at the Hungary Grand Prix. And Schumacher has achieved eight wins at Magni Corps, the only drivers to have achieved huge numbers like that and Lewis has now got 86 
GP wins, is that right? And more poles than Schumacher? I may be wrong. It's something like that. Yeah, I but think it, is it 90 poles he's got now? Is that right? The records keep falling and they're going to keep falling. And I mean, he's not, I think, motivated as Vettel partly is by the desire to tick off a lot of those records and a lot of those numbers. But they just keep coming. He's still the fastest guy in the fastest car and they're going to keep coming. I think they'll keep coming because he won't need to retire anytime soon and the drivers are driving right. well into their sort of like 30s, early 40s. I mean, Kimi Raikkonen's still driving, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if this is Kimi's last season, though. Well, Alonso's back. Yeah, and there are lots of Ferrari Academy drivers in F2 at the moment who are doing great business. Have you been watching Formula 2? Oh, my gosh, it's fantastic this year. It is the best season in a good couple of years or more. And Ferrari going to have to make room for drivers, and that means put them into Alfa Romeo, I think. I've got to say, I have to be honest, I haven't been watching F2 much this year. But one thing I did notice... At this last race, I was paying a bit more attention to the drivers' video intros, video profiles. You know how when they're running down the grid or running to starting positions or anything, instead of a still picture of a driver, as we have for the last couple of years, you get like a two-second video profile of the driver where they just look to the camera. You know, Sometimes they look up at the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do a sort of a posed move, don't they? Sometimes they can look down. Yeah, it's just like a one-second, two-second thing. I was just paying a bit more attention to those at this last race. And... The two standout ones we actually were Verstappen and Bottas. Why? Okay, well, Verstappen had absolutely the kind of coolest, hardest, stay you down, I am the best, I'm going to win this, you are nobody look to him. Very, very, very impressive. And Bottas, it just struck me, if you were sort of going to this cold and looking at all those little profiles, you knew nothing about these people, and you had to pick out the one of those 20 people who was the most likely to be a supervillain with some kind of, you know, high-tech mountain hideaway and an army of heavily armed mercenaries at his disposal working on some plan to take over the world. It's Valtteri Bottas. A Finnish supervillain. I'm not sure such a thing is possible, is it? They're all nice guys. And in real life, he's a very even-tempered, decent man and probably one of the less likely of the drivers to have an army of mercenaries at his beck and call ready to take over the world when he borrows a plan from Pinky and the Brain. But in those two seconds, he's a supervillain. Absolutely. I would have thought that Daniel Kvyat would have been the ideal supervillain for Bond at the moment. <laughs> or maybe. Max, by the way once again proves how difficult he is to get past. I can't remember who it was he was tussling with at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Well, he was tussled with Sebastian Vettel at the very beginning, the opening lap. I'm sure there was a Ferrari there that he really went wheel to wheel with and he managed to get in over the top of him. I mean, he had a great start. He went from P12 to P7 at least very quickly, I'm pretty sure, or even further along than that. But I do remember he had a tussle with the Ferrari and I'm pretty sure that was Vettel and he managed to get past him yeah he's hard to pass i think it was later in the race someone was tussling with him and max gives you just enough room but you don't want to risk it he's got a bit of a reputation historically as being a bit of an elbows out driver and i think that still works for him all you need to do is a little bit of that early on and it stays with you forever but just coming back to the red bull's performance all the cars with ferrari engines are noticeably slower at the moment and we all know why but both the Honda engine teams, not Toro Rosso, they're called Alpha Tauri now, 
and Red Bull are both noticeably underperforming at the moment. Max and Albon are doing a great job of hustling that car to the front, but you kind of think that that car is not quite underneath them. Otherwise, Max might not have made a very basic error, admittedly on a damp track, just going out to the grid. So I'm wondering if there is something that Adrian Newey is doing on that car, which is difficult to set up and they haven't quite nailed it yet. And once that car is matured, it will be a much quicker thing, but it's not there yet. Well, it may be a little bit tricky on the limit, which is part of the reason, again, for that particular incident that when it goes it goes kind of quickly and it's very hard to catch and that maybe just makes it a little bit harder sometimes for the drivers to push that last half of a percent and get that last ultimate bit of performance you know they're having to just hold back just a little and not lean on the car quite as hard as they might do if they had that bit more confidence that in that moment when it's going they can catch it and keep it pointing in the right direction it's a fair point and that is the only place in terms of a car's performance where you can make gains because all formula one cars are right at the limit the whole time it's the only way you're going to win and you need an absolutely stable car at the limit to be able to do that don't you well yeah you want to feel the confidence in it you want to feel that you can drive to your absolute limit and the car's going to follow the car's going to do what you want you can't be holding back heck no not in this game all right talking about confidence give us some confidence predictions sarah british grand prix coming up i'm guessing you're gonna say leclerc's gonna win aren't you because you love him well you know what he didn't do that well last week or at the hungarian grand prix did he but he had tire problems but i would love to say that charles leclerc would get up there but i've lost a bit of faith in the old ferrari drivers they don't seem to be doing particularly well this year you're so fickle but in leclerc's defense his little battles with both norris and science at the hungaro ring were that was a great tussle uh, wasn't it Terrific, yeah. yeah. It was good, clean racing, hard but clean racing on both sides in both of those battles. So fair play. Leclerc was doing a good job there, I think. Well, coming back to my prediction, <laughs> so, yes. Sorry. I think, I think we're going to see Mercedes will probably take it out. Not be- far behind them will be Red Bull. And then let's see how Racing Point go. You never know. They could come up. And I think McLaren are doing really well. And as always, it'd be great to see Daniel Ricciardo get up there somewhere. <laughs> oh, so that's my prediction. There's always hope. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting that you still think that Red Bull are the second fastest team. I think Max is... I think Albon is very good, but I think the equation of the current racing points and Perez or even Stroll could pit the Red Bulls at Silverstone. It's a quick circuit. I mean, it'd be great if they did. It'd create a good story, wouldn't it? Yeah. Zoggy? Well, I think my safe prediction is Lewis for the win all the way. I'm hoping that Norris is going to carry on with the kind of performances we've seen from him at his best and that he's going to be inspired at his home race to reinforce McLaren's grip on third place in the championship. And my other firm prediction is that it's going to be a lot harder for any stray spectators in the area to find anything like the vantage point that those handful of spectators found in Austria. If you remember, there was that little bit of mountainside overlooking the circuit where a handful of spectators had managed to get up on a tractor or something and had a beautiful view of the circuit. Not all that close, but if you had binoculars, I'm sure it was pretty good. It's going to be a little bit harder at Silverstone for anyone to manage that. I've got a plan. If I don't watch it on TV, and I'm very pleased to say that this one is free to air in the UK, Channel 4 will be carrying this one. I'm going to rent a hot air balloon and float over Silverstone and watch the race. That's the only way to see it live. Good luck with that. One final thing. I want to say thank you to you two 
personally right here. And also thank you to our listeners who have not only stayed with us during the absence of Formula One, and that's been proven by an increase in the download figures for Gareth Jones on Speed. I am thrilled to say that our numbers are absolutely I wouldn't say skyrocketing, but they're massively on the ascension again at the moment. So, Zog and Sarah, thank you very much for staying with us during this. I'm wondering if the fact that Formula One coming back has helped the figures as well, that people care a bit more about what they're watching and they want to get the opinion of two of my favourite people. Thank you, guys, very much indeed. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You've been listening to Zog. Oh, well, thanks. I'm happy to hear that we're maybe contributing a little bit. If we're helping people pass the time in these difficult times, it's great to hear job done and you've been listening to Sarah thank you very much say goodbye and I'll just echo what Zong's just said it's been nothing more than great (laughs) yeah three happy smiling podcasters I was Gareth this was Gareth Jones on speed enjoy the British Grand Prix and we'll be back in a fortnight see ya to send us an email see pictures get song lyrics join our Facebook fan site follow us on Twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed please.